If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. Brian McClanahan Show, episode 507. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to be back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to mclanahanacademy.com. Always free to enroll. Get that free class, 10 Myths of American History, when you do enroll. And get the best deals on new and forthcoming courses. As always, purchase a class there. You keep this podcast free of charge because that's like supporting the podcast financially. So it's a win-win situation. Also, click on that support tab at brianmclanahan.com. Throw a few pennies my way. You can also purchase one of my books. You can get those wherever books are sold. You can click on the shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com, get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. But one of the best ways to support the show is to rate, review, and subscribe. Let people know you like it. Share it around on social media. Let them know you're engaged. Send me those show requests. These are things that keep the show fresh and exciting, and it gets you engaged in the show. It lets you be part of the show. Okay, let's talk about the topic of the day, and it's a piece by Paul Gottfried at Chronicles Magazine that just came out a couple of days ago. And I, look... This is right in line with what I've said about what conservatism is in America now and where we've gone completely off the rails with this stuff, okay? The conservative heroes that we have aren't really conservative heroes. Now, if you want material like this, there's only a few places you can get this stuff. One, and of course, mainstream material. One would be Chronicles Magazine, which is where this was published. The other would be the American Conservative, which does good pieces at times. Helen Andrews writes there, and she does good stuff. Uh, also, Law and Liberty, you have good writers there. They don't do as much of this, but they do some really good stuff when it comes to the original Constitution. So those are the, the three places. I mean, you're not going to get any anywhere else. Sometimes um, the American Thinker has good pieces. Uh, Intellectual Takeout, which is part of Chronicles, has good pieces at times. Uh, American Spectator will run a funny thing here or there. I mean, there are some times that even the mainstream outlets will get things right, but on a consistent basis, it's Chronicles and Chronicles and Chronicles. That's it, right? So other places like the Abbeville Institute will do good stuff. I mean, there are places out there. Tenth Amendment Center, of course, is always good, but they don't write you know, write as much. They're, they talk about the things they're doing behind the scenes to help influence legislation. So there's always good places to go. You just got to find them. And if you're not reading Chronicles, if you're not a, a member of Chronicles, I'd highly recommend it. It's like, what, 50 bucks for the year, 50 or 60 bucks for the year. Uh, you get to be a member of Charlemagne Institute. You get your Chronicles magazine. If you're not doing that, well, then you're missing out. So you, you, you want to do that. You want to get that. So uh, this piece is great. And Gottfried and I, Paul Gottfried and I, have talked about this many times behind the scenes it was the basic push of my pieces that got Michael Anton all riled up last year uh, and all his, his shenanigans and calling me all kinds of names, which, of course, I called him names, too, because my names were accurate. Um, it is 
the idea that somehow we're going to have conservative heroes that aren't really conservative. Now, I want to put one thing out there with this. This is really, you're, you're talking about the soul of conservatism in some ways in America. Now, years ago, 10 years ago, Clyde Wilson and I wrote a book, Forgotten Conservatives in American History. It's been 10 years. It's hard to believe. That book was published in 2012. And that book had, a, had someone in it that I wrote about that may not, I mean, it's a stretch. And that's C.A. Lindbergh. C.A. Lindbergh is Charles Lindbergh's father, was Charles Lindbergh's father. And C.A. Lindbergh was a progressive. In fact, I remember um, I went to a conference not long after the book was published, a couple of years, and I met up with Richard Gamble, who I talked about on this podcast uh, last week when he wrote a piece on Lee and, and Alan Gelzo. And so he and I were talking about the book, and he said, yeah, you know, the, the uh, C.A. Lindbergh thing. He said, ah, you know, also we talked about William Jennings Bryan. Uh, but he said, you know, they're, they're a little bit tough to classify as conservative. You know, Brian certainly had elements. He's from a Georgia family. The Bryans are from Georgia. And of course, Brian's in Nebraska. And if you go out and you read some of the stuff Brian was writing after his political career was over, it's very conservative. He's an agrarian. So if agrarianism is conservative, then you have to move those people in that direction. That's where I was going with C.A. Lindbergh. C.A. Lindbergh opposed World War I. He opposed the Federal Reserve. He opposed central banking. He was uh, very much in favor of uh, Minnesota governing Minnesota. He loved the environment. Um, he was in favor of uh, you know, this much more rural agrarian lifestyle. And, of course, his son, Charles Lindbergh, uh, was in many ways conservative. Of course, his son has been called a Nazi, which is inaccurate and uh, just, I mean, horrible slander. He wasn't that at all. Um, it, it, Charles Lindbergh was in Germany with the understanding from the United States government that he was there to report back about what Germany was doing, and he was given a medal by the Nazi party that he asked the Roosevelt representative, should I take this medal? And they said, yes, take it. And at, during the war then, the Roosevelt administration goes a full court press on Charles Lindbergh and says he's a Nazi sympathizer. You can't trust this guy because he was against the war. In 1941, he gave a very famous speech, September 11th, by the way, 1941, opposing the war just a, a less than you know two months from uh, Pearl Harbor, um, uh, three months from Pearl Harbor. So he was right there opposing the war. The same day Roosevelt gave a speech, uh, to try to counteract Charles Lindbergh. Lindbergh was a famous American. And of course, in that speech, he also said that uh, there were several interests in the United States pushing for war, and one of those was the Jewish interest. There's nothing incorrect about that statement. We know it was going on in Europe at the time. So, of course, Jewish Americans were interested in trying to clamp down on the Nazis. He's just pointing this out. He's saying, look, I, this is what's happening. He didn't, was nothing anti-Semitic about it. He wasn't criticizing Jew, Jewish people. He's just saying, this is what's happening. And so we have that interest. We have this interest. Is that in the best interest of America, though, was the main question. So there's nothing anti-Semitic about asking questions. But when you get into calling people conservative that aren't, and when you look at the images on this piece, it's at Chronicles, the four images are uh, Hannah uh, Rent. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr., Frederick Douglass, and Dorothy Day. 
Now, none of those people would be considered conservative. None of them. So he begins the piece, he says, Two years ago, Gracie Olmsted, a journalist who writes on farming and farming communities, partnered with Inter- Intercollegiate Studies Institute to compose a list of whom she and the Institute view as conservatives. Of the now-deceased figures who appear on Olmsted's list, very few of them have any connection to any, anything identifiably conservative. Now, what's interesting about that, let me talk about Olmsted for a second. She, she's written some pretty interesting pieces, but... And this is years ago. She wrote a, a book review of, essentially, I'll Take My Stand. And she loved it. She loved I'll Take My Stand. Then she realized that some of the people that wrote in that book were uh, Southerners. All the people were. She figured out they're Southerners, and they held racial views that weren't in line with her own. So then she issued a mea culpa. I can't believe I actually said the good things about this book. These people are just horrible. I mean, how stupid. How stupid. So Olmsted was doing exactly what conservatives do, quote-unquote conservative ink does nowadays, which is trying to pick heroes that are going to be palatable to the left because if you don't, they're going to call you racist. So let me tell you something, Olmsted, and anyone else listen to this, they're going to call you that anyways. It doesn't matter what you say. They're going to call you that. That's because the charge has no meaning anymore. Anything is racist. It has no meaning in modern society because they've made it to the point where it doesn't really matter. So he says Frederick, uh, Frederick Douglass, Martin Luther King, so, uh, socialist Dorothea Day, or Dorothy Day, would likely have been puzzled to find themselves on such a list of commendable conservatives. Yet Olmsted tries to get around this classificatory problem by telling us the following, quote, Several of the thinkers, activists, and writers listed above were viewed as progressive during their lifetime because of their willingness to critique and call out corruption, to question the powerful, and to come alongside the vulnerable and disenfranchised. Sick. It's disfranchised. But a conservatism that will truly last and build a beautiful legacy must draw these people into its canon and learn from him, from them. Excuse me. So she's saying, we know what these people weren't conservative in their day, but they're conservative now. Well, this is, exactly, this is exactly what Dabney said in 1895. Well, yeah, conservatism, they're just going to take the old discarded leftists and make them conservatives, and they're not really conservative. It's exactly what Dabney was saying. There's nothing conservative about the North. They're just taking all these old discarded reformists, all these people that were never conservative, And they're going to make him conservative because that works for them. So Gottfried says, This admission got me to thinking about whether Olmsted is confusing two categories of human beings who should be kept distinct. Those whom she personally likes and those who belong to the right. Like ISI, Olmsted is not necessarily on the right, but trying to use the conservative label to describe those whom she thinks we should approve of. But describing past figures who in no way consider themselves to be conservative is not quite fair. How many of Olmsted's conservatives defended the kind of organic hierarchical society that Edmund Burke held up as a countermodel to revolutionary France? And if they did not, what exactly characterized them as conservative as opposed to something else? Now, this is, this is a big question. How do we define American conservatives? Is it Burkean? Right? Is it is it this opposition to perpetual revolution in what's going on in France? Now, if it's that, if that's it, okay, and this is where uh, 
Paul and I have have our differences here. If that's it, well then, I mean, you can't say Jefferson was a conservative because Jefferson was, of course, in favor of the revolution at first. And, of course, Kevin Goodsman would say Jefferson was a conservative. But Jefferson was distinctly American conservative, not in his views on these things, but in his belief in federalism and order. Jefferson did believe in order, just not the same order as, say, Edmund Burke. I mean, would we have a constitutional monarchy, in other words? I don't think Jefferson didn't support that, and most Americans did not support that. Hamilton did. So in that case, Hamilton and Adams would be the most conservative, but I don't think so. Those two were reformers in many ways. They were against the original character of the United States in terms of centralized power. And that's where you get into this dispute about American conservatism. Uh, Russell Kirk was well aware of this, which is why he had such an eclectic group of people in the conservative mind. He's really bringing in a lot of different people to try to formulate what this means to be conservative. Jefferson was a conservative in the broad view of America and in the broad view of society in many different ways, but not entirely in the way that, say, Burke would define it or maybe even people of the 18th century would define it. I mean, look, Jefferson was pushed, he was portrayed as to the left. I mean, he was a Jacobin to people like John Marshall. But was John Marshall conservative? John Marshall trying to clamp down on Jacobinism through the centralized power, thinking that they're going to control that and it'll always be there. He couldn't see that the day when it would happen when the left would control the center and they would use the same apparatus that Marshall set up to try to clamp down the Jacobins to their advantage. Some of that had to do with democracy. So you could say, well, Jefferson was a firm proponent of democracy to an extent. Uh, but then you had people that were opposed to universal suffrage in Virginia. Uh, and these were the conservatives. So what's interesting is how all these things work out, right? I mean, that you get this very difficult definition of American conservatism. It comes out of this. And I think that's the important thing to take away from this. I don't think Olmsted is right about using King or Douglas or Elizabeth Cady Stanton, which is not there. But I mean, other people like that, D- uh, you know, Day, any of these. They're not, they're not correct. They're not correct to use them at all. In fact, I think they would be spinning in their graves to be called conservatives. So Gottfried continues, the tendency to shoehorn famous thinkers into the conservative mold, particularly in the case of Martin Luther King Jr., was recently called out by black nationalist Leonard Pitts. In a noteworthy column, Pitts noted that conservative, conservative politicians and columnists never go beyond one or two usable sentences in King's I Have a Dream speech, before they dishonestly claim him was one of their own. This is exactly right. Pitts is 100% correct. If you've never read King, you're not going to get that King was never a conservative. King should never be called a conservative. King is a wokey. There's no doubt about it. And Pitts is ticked that conservatives are trying to take him as their own. They're doing it. It's the same thing the Jaffites have always done. Equality is conservative. They're trying to hijack that from the left. They're trying to take it from the left to take all the steam out of it so they can say, well, we're just conservative. All these things are really just conservative. It's just changing rhetoric. It's changing semantics. I mean, it's, 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 it's changing the definition of what these things are or just basically pulling it into your own and saying, this is mine, not yours. We're real. I mean, conservative is American. Or, uh, equality is American. It's conservative. We're conservative Americans because we believe in equality. This is what Anton does. 
Well, I agree. You can run away with these things, but where do you stop it? You see, once you open the box, there's no. Once you let it out, you can't put it back in. It's like when you, you know, you get a, you get some of these mattresses, these beds in a box, and you take the thing out, and it's this little crushed foam, and you rip it open, comes out this big mattress. Uh, well, try stuffing that thing back in the box. It ain't gonna fit, right? Even when you get those air beds and stuff, you know, you get an air bed, you go camp and get an air bed and you get that thing and you try to have to put it in that bag they sent in. You're like, dang it, how do you fit this thing in there? You can't. Once you get to the point, once you let it out of the box, there's no going back. Godfrey says, contrary to the parody of rhetoric on Fox News, King explicitly favored quotas for blacks. Rage against white systemic racism. He considered himself a socialist. When such race-conscious Republican congressmen such as Jack Kemp and Newt Gingrich pushed to create an MLK national holiday in 1983, President Reagan understandably balked before reluctantly accepting the proposal. Needless to say, the perpetually leftist media went crazy pushing the idea and condemning anyone who opposed it for any reason as a racist. So this is what they're going to do, right? If you just say there's problems with uh, King and King Holiday, and the, well, then you're a racist. It's not true. You can point out some problems. If you can point out all these things with Washington or Jefferson or Lee, why can't you? If if people that aren't white can do that with them, why why can't everybody do that with anybody? Right? We're all Americans at the end of the day. So can we say, well, these people aren't necessarily worthy of our admiration? Maybe they had positions we agree with. Maybe there's things that they said and did that we agree with, but they're not really conservative, and we don't really want them there. This is what Gottfried is getting to. I might admire some people for some things they said, but that doesn't make him conservative. You might think that King's speech is correct. Maybe you, you like that speech, but it doesn't make him conservative. It doesn't make you a leftist if you think some of the things he's saying there. Ah, oh, I mean, I can, I can agree with that. It doesn't make you a leftist. Okay, well, yeah. Gottfried says, I'm not defending Pitt's corrections as a paleoconservative reaction to the conservative establishment's predictable misrepresentation of King. I bring it up to illustrate the mistake of presenting people as what they def definitely were not. There were usually compelling reasons why those who have identified themselves explicitly with the left continue to be viewed in that way. That is how those figures wish to have others see them, and it is foolish to attach labels that they would have properly rejected. Absolutely. King would never be comfortable calling being called a conservative. Never. Never. And I think that's the issue here. How do we define conservative in America and who gets to fit in that group? This is what I pointed out. Look, if, you, if you're starting from the point that Martin Luther King and Frederick Douglass are conservatives, you're already lost. You've lost the entire game. You've lost the game because now what you've done is made these lefties the starting point for American conservatism. So all you're conserving is 19th century liberalism. You're conserving 19th century reformists. You're conserving that reform movement, which destroyed the original Constitution, which destroyed American society, you're, you're, you're getting rid of that, right? You're, you're destroying all of that. So what are you going to conserve? What is there to conserve? Well, Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Frederick Douglass. Were they conservatives? No, they were leftists. So what you're conserving, this is what Dabney pointed out again, what you're conserving is leftism. That's what you're conserving. So this is the point that you have to get to you have to understand you, you're coming from a, from a false position, a false argument in that way, right? So that's, that's, that's a key to understanding this. So Gottfried says, 
That does not mean that I, that I, as a non-leftist, should disrespect these people if they indeed showed a willingness to critique or call out corruption. For example, I respect Karl Marx as a brilliant social analyst. I have learned a great deal from reading his historical writings and his correspondence with his fellow socialists. But that does not mean that I should consider that Marx was some type of conservative. What it does mean is that, like the others on the right, I found value in Marx's insights and associate their source with an older and less demented left than the one we are now combating. But of course, I won't try to pull the wool over anyone's eyes by misrepresenting Marx as a shining example of conservatism. What's, what's interesting about that, too, of course, is the agrarians were, uh, in, in some of the things that Southerners were saying back in the 19th century and then to the 1930s, you would consider those to be kind of you know, Marxist in some ways. I mean, um, they said some things very critical of capital, of, you know, finance capital, very critical of uh, the fusion of finance capital and government state capitalism. These are things that were... Uh, I mean, now well, that's the left. No, it's not. It's Jeffersonian. And it's very conservative. It's American conservative, nothing else. But it's very conservative. And I think that's something we have to understand. There's shades of this stuff that we have to get to. But uh, some of these people, I mean, would they consider themselves conservative? Yeah, I think they would have in the 19th century. They would have said they are. They wouldn't consider themselves leftists. They would consider Douglas, Frederick Douglass, a leftist or Stanton a leftist. Olmsted also makes a point of telling us that those who were involved in the enslavement of African people can have no place at her conservative table. Now, this is where it gets really stupid. So Gottfried rightly says, does that mean that George Washington, John Randolph, Robert Louis Dabney, John Witherspoon, and many other early Americans who owned slaves and in some cases even defended the practice of slavery cannot be considered conservative? I mean, is this what it means? This is where, again, Anton, well, I mean, they have to bend all over themselves and fall all over themselves to try to figure this out. Well, you know, yeah, I know that uh, Jefferson and Washington and, you know, these people own slaves, but, um, but we, you know, we, it's, that's a whole different time. They were, they were against it. They, they, have to, they have to try to go through mental contortions to get around this stuff. It should just be, so what? Right? Did they say the, so what? We don't own slaves today, and of course, Godfrey says that. He says, although we are well rid of slavery, which unfortunately has given way to even more shocking outrages like giving sex change hormones to school children, human bondage was long held to be necessary for material survival and even for the cultivation of the higher arts. This is what the Spartans said. The only reason the Spartans were able to go out and train militarily for all that time was because they had slaves. I mean, is Michigan State going to change its mascot because a Spartan was a slave owner? Spartans were slave owners. How about uh, anybody that has, I mean, uh, you know, the, the uh, a Cherokee Indian or uh, any any of that? Those are slave owners. Slave owners. All the American Indian tribes engaged in slave owning. So, I mean, if that's the case, we should take down that anything relating to American Indians because of that. That's not why they're doing it, but because of that, right? He says, in a less developed economy, that may well have been the case. Should I deny these cons the conservative label to all these early Americans who kept as uh, slaves the descendants of Africans? Perhaps I should also be uh, condemning all slave owners, which include Aristotle, Cicero, Plato, the Hebrew patriarch, St. Paul, and many other ancients, for having lagged behind Gracie Olmsted on this moral issue. Entirely true. The Egyptians... Well, the thing about the Egyptians now, people, this is where the... Oh, but wait a second here. They respected their slaves. 
So they weren't necessarily building the pyramids. May not have been slaves, or, or maybe it was slaves, but it was a good kind of slavery. Or I mean, this is they to try to go through again mental contortions to figure out how they can def, how they can celebrate Egypt uh, because it was slaveholding uh, while still condemning slavery in America. These they have to do this. How they can? I mean, they don't. They're trying to figure out these mental contortions too with King now because you know he had some pretty bad failings. Morally, ethically, there are some real questions about King as a person, but he said all the right things, so it's okay. He concludes, I'm not mocking anyone by asking these questions, but I am suggesting that those who embrace any aspect of our politically correct culture may not be able to judge who is or who is not conservative. Olmsted urges conservatives to consider history without nostalgia and carelessness. Are historians allowed to look at it without yielding to spasms of remorse? Olmsted's mea culpa and then all of this, it's horrible, right? It's horrible. This stuff is... It's uh, it's just silly and what we're getting to, right? So, um, and the list, I mean, on their list, one other person that she lists is Wendell Berry. Wendell Berry. Now there's others. Wendell Berry. Not conservative, but because of the way he writes about it. Now, Wendell Berry, look, I like Wendell Berry in terms of you know what he writes, and I agree with her that he writes about uh, conservation. Wendell Berry is completely against, at this point, Robert E. Lee. Now, um, he wasn't always, uh, but he's, he's bowed to PC. And not just that, Wendell Berry has written some pretty salacious things and some other stuff that you would say, eh. Uh, that's not really that conservative when it comes to society. But, I mean, you look at the, the list, and it's embarrassing uh, who who she puts on here. John Wesley Powell? John Wesley Powell. I mean, so this list is pretty, pretty embarrassing. Uh, so, anyways. Um, I think that Gottfried is right on, and there are some people on her list that I would agree with, but a lot of them, not so much, uh, in terms of uh, who would be a conservative and not. All right. Hope you enjoyed this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. I'll see you tomorrow for the next one. See you then.